Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, this is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. The existential threat of the climate emergency has been dramatically underlined by the new IPCC report. That's the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, published by the United Nations, which really shows the horrendous situation our species faces as a result of human-driven climate change. Now, today we're joined by Ketan Joshi, who is a brilliant expert, and what he's going to do is unpack exactly what the report means, how serious a situation we're in and what we do about it. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84. You help decide who we speak to, what issues we cover, what documentaries we do, or you can use the support function in the description of this podcast. Do leave us a review or some stars would be good on uh, on the iTunes thingy. And we have loads and loads and loads to come, so do keep tuned in and subscribed. And when that's said and done, listen to the wise words of Ketan Joshi. Ketan, big honour uh, for you to join us. Um, so the big IPCC report, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel Climate Change, has dropped and there's been a big build-up to this report. It's a report which sets out the scale of the crisis that humanity is currently in. Could you give a kind of summary to begin with of what the report is is telling us? What are the main for you, the big striking new things that this report is really highlighting? Yeah, this this report comes out, you know, once every, uh, I think it was five or six years, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has this reporting cycle. And it's quite long, you know, this is not like a sort of annual update, like state of the climate type thing. Uh, and the reason this is so long is because there's just so much science behind this. Uh, it's really wild uh, how many, this, the sheer number of hours that are put into that have been put into this report. You know, um, picking through it, uh, there's just like reams and reams and reams of the latest science in this. Uh, and of course, primarily, it can it confirms something that we already knew uh, with a relatively high amount of certainty, which is the connection between burning fossil fuels and adding greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and the physical consequences. Uh, that's the planet heating. But of course, it's also the things that lead on from uh, the atmosphere and the oceans getting warmer. So things like worsening heat waves, the sort of circumstances required for bushfires and wildfires to be worse. Uh, and because of a bunch of different uh, side effects, I guess, of this phenomenon, things like floods and natural disasters, uh, sorry, things like uh, floods and uh, other disasters getting worse. Uh, so that's uh, hurricanes, um, it storms, lightning. Uh, it's a really sort of clear confirmation of the link between burning fossil fuels and a lot of those things. And to some degree, that was last decade's debate. Uh, the actual science uh, was under a lot of doubt and uncertainty thanks to a concerted campaign last decade. But 
in, in 2021, there's a lot more agreement and a lot more certainty and a lot more public acceptance uh, of the science. So it's new in the sense that it adds basically uh, about six to seven years worth of scientific advancements to more strongly solidify something that we already knew with a relative amount of certainty. So it's pretty important, I think, first of all, to recognize just the sheer quantity of science that's behind this. Uh, the other thing that strikes me from this report is that it sort of shows that our options are narrowing to some degree. Uh, and it's to do with the physical nature of the problem that we're dealing with. Okay. So the more we emit, the worse the consequences, uh, the more the warming impacts on us. Uh, and so from that simple relationship, this sort of framework of budgets has arisen. Uh, so you can basically emit only so much carbon before the planet will warm to a certain amount. And uh, of course, the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement centered around these temperature uh, limits. So 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming was the stretch target. But the core of the agreement was, uh, was keeping global warming below two degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. uh, and so neither of those things are good. Uh, of course, there should be zero degrees Celsius of warming. Um, 1.5 degrees is not safe. Uh, it's just a sort of midpoint between what we thought was feasible uh, and uh, trying to limit impacts uh, as much as we possibly can. So what the report is telling us uh, is that the window for the stretch target is getting really, really, really small. Uh, it's worth noting, of course, that the report only looks at scenarios that have been, you know, selected by people who are trying to think about what society or what politics or what human behavior might do over the next, like, several decades. This is a really big and important question. Uh, and my, my personal question reading the report, or at least as much of it as I've read so far, um, there's, I think there's 3,495 uh, pages or something like that in the main report. So I haven't quite uh, gotten through it yet. Uh, it's basically how are we trying to imagine the future and how are we thinking about the possibilities of the future? Uh, because the headlines that I've seen so far today uh, are also kind of a little bit... Um, talking about what's not possible, talking about what we've lost so far, uh, and talking about what we won't be able to do in the future. Uh, and I instinctively question that framing because of course my interest is in uh, what is possible, um, what we can do and uh, everything that we sort of have left uh, to save and protect. Uh, so I don't actually have a good answer, unfortunately quite yet <laughs> for that second question because uh, it really comes down to um, uh, all of the assumptions that are baked into the very heart of this report mm -hmm. when it comes to possible futures. So, um, you know, maybe if you sort of have a peek around my Twitter feed over the next few days, I'll probably have a bit more to say about that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the sort of core point of it all really seems to be the walls kind of closing in on this sort of stretch target and it's and it's quite concerning um but of course the authors of the report are also very clear to highlight that uh every molecule of greenhouse gas that you avoid going into the atmosphere or the oceans is actually helping you know it's really uh protecting human life and it's protecting animals and uh biodiversity across the world um 
So that's something that they really stress as well. Uh, but that is not a particularly new finding. You know, this is something that we that we already knew. So in terms of, I mean, we will talk about, you know, avoiding catastrophe, but the original target by 2030 was to limit, as you say, temperature rises globally by one and a half centigrade above uh, pre-industrial levels. Mm-hmm. If we end up in a situation where it's it's significantly more than that, what are the kind of outcomes that we should expect within our lifetime? So the, I kind of, in my head, I kind of split them into three categories. Uh, the first is the really sort of obvious immediate impacts and that's uh, hotter temperatures. So uh, in, you know, in regions of the world, um, particularly in summer, but even in winter, uh, there will be temperatures that uh, cause an extremely significant impact to the way we live our lives. Uh, so that level of warming results in uh, global temperatures that uh, make some places in the world um, potentially uninhabitable. Uh, and that's a really significant thing. Um, you, you, your listeners may have heard uh, about wet bulb temperatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is sort of the uh, theoretical limit, uh, sort of human, uh, human, it's to do with basically with like physiology, uh, where the amount that we perspire um, into the air around us helps cool us down. And theoretically, once the temperature rises to a certain degree, and the air gets humid enough, uh, we basically stop being able to cool ourselves down through perspiration. Uh, and this is the real risk with with temperature rises. The second category is uh, sort of flow on effects. So rising temperatures result in changing conditions for uh, a series of other problems. Um, the one that's always the most on my mind, uh, because you know I sort of come from Australia, is uh, bushfire or uh, it's known as wildfires in the US. Uh, as temperatures rise, the conditions for bushfires get worse and worse. That's because the fuel for bushfires dries out, you know, so you sort of end up with really dry leaves. Um, and uh, the other consequence, of course, is um, uh, drought over time. So that means the uh, fuel for bushfires is, is getting drier and drier as well. Um, and so that has a really, really significant impact in parts of the world that are prone to bushfires. Um, and then the third category in my head is the um, much more complex, but also very, very worrying uh, series of other types of disasters. So uh, you've got things like floods and hurricanes. Um, we've seen quite a few of these happening in the past few months. Uh, you know, uh, my Twitter feed has been full of uh, footage from like China mm-hmm. and Germany of like uh, roads, you know, just becoming uh, just becoming rivers, you know, there's like cars bobbing down these roads. Uh, we are at about 1.1 degrees Celsius of warming at the moment. Um, and so it, that I think that probably gives you an idea of everything that we're experiencing now. Um, if we breach 1.5 and stay above it um, for, for any sort of extended period of time, uh, then all of these impacts that we're seeing today will be notably worse. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we sort of, we're starting to see this more and more, of course, as the, as the planet warms. Uh, and I think that the connection this time around between, you know, to go back to your question, uh, what is the physical experience? What are the sort of consequences to our lives? Uh, it's actually really clear this time, I think. I, I mean, the report's only been out for a few hours, but 
I think people much more intuitively understand what it means for a, a warming effect to occur. And, and unfortunately, that is the consequence of just having so many disasters manifesting already, uh, even at, um, you know, moderate levels of warming. Of course, this is not moderate. This is uh, what we're experiencing is very, very bad. But we, if we don't put a lid on uh, the burning of fossil fuels and the release of greenhouse gases, then uh, relative to <laughs> sort of what we've experienced now, we might look back on this as moderate. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And of course, we've seen over the last, as you say, a few days, we've seen the, the wildfires in Greece, we've seen the floods in China and so on, examples of extreme weather that will become ever more likely and ever more extreme as... Uh, the climate crisis intensifies. I mean, in terms of the main contributors to the climate emergency, what are the kind of main points you would identify that people need to be aware of? So you can cut this up in a bunch of different ways. You can cut it up by the the substance itself. Uh, there's many different types of greenhouse gases, but the, the main one is carbon dioxide. Um, that's the one that sort of gets spewed out if you burn coal, oil, or gas. But another really important one, and this is highlighted in the IEA uh, in the IPCC's report, is methane. Uh, methane can come from bio; they call it biogenic sources. Basically, it's uh, if you can imagine sort of cows standing in a field um, farting. Uh, that's you know, <laughs> uh, that's actually a surprisingly large chunk of uh, the addition of methane into the atmosphere. But there's also extractive uh, human core sources. Um, and it's a funny terminology because, of course, you know, a lot of farming is, is human cores too. But uh, this generally refers to things like uh, digging up coal or gas. Uh, and when you extract fossil fuels from the ground, you actually have methane leakages. Uh, when you transport gas specifically, you can also have uh, that substance leaking into the atmosphere during the transportation process. 
Uh, and these two things are really, really significant contributors to uh, the warming of the atmosphere as well. One important thing to note is that with methane, it has a much higher, what's known as a global warming potential. So basically, if you have a ton of methane and you have a ton of carbon, di carbon dioxide and you put both of them into the atmosphere, the methane will result in a, a much higher temperature rise relative to that chunk of carbon dioxide. But it also hangs around in the atmosphere for less long, which means if we deal with these methane problems, uh, you actually have uh, consequences, positive consequences that we really feel in our lifetimes. This is something that we can really detect and experience, uh, you know, by shutting down fossil fuel extraction projects and by changing the way that agriculture and farming happens uh, to basically reduce these methane emissions down to as close to zero as we can. Um, it, well, I mean, it, fundamentally, it actually has to become an absolute zero eventually. Uh, then while the dangers are higher, the uh, actual benefits of making these changes occur in a much, much shorter time frame compared to, say, uh, carbon, carbon dioxide. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that because it's a real focus of the report and it's and it's something I think that people can really look at and say, uh, well, by changing my diet or by, you know, writing a letter to my politician and opposing this particular fossil fuel project, um, by cutting out those methane emissions, um, it's a really short term um, noticeable thing. It's a good thing. Um, just to answer your question one other way as well, you can also split it up by sectors. Um, there's many different parts of human society that cause greenhouse gases. Um, the really big one, of course, is the energy sector. So that's, you know, burning stuff to generate electricity, driving your car around, uh, or industry that uses fossil fuels to make products and, um, uh, and manufacture other things. So the one thing that I wanted to really highlight with that, and I need to spend a bit more time with the report and get kind of get deeper into it uh is the power sector specifically and, and coal power um coal is really uh a focus of mine but it's also just mathematically the sort of tallest domino i guess of like the the different things you know it's really something that i think there's a lot of benefit in thinking about first because when you shut down coal the impact on emissions is really really significant but of course uh, there are parts of the world uh, that are still reliant upon coal and even building new coal-fired power stations. So uh, like the methane thing, it's one of those things where you can actually get really significant and immediate rewards by, by tackling it really soon. Mm -hmm. um, of course, there's you know many, many other things like um, transport emissions from cars, uh, the use of gas in homes, so like your gas stovetop and your and a gas boiler to heat water or um, to um, provide uh, heat space heating in your home. Like but these are these are really tricky and big challenges. But um, I just wanted to highlight the coal power thing first because uh, that's something where there's a huge well of, of potential, uh, and it's actually a really big chunk of emissions for the world as well. Isn't a big problem that the power of fossil fuel giants, their lobbying arms are so huge. I mean, if you look at the United States, they spend vast sums of money, donations to political parties, campaigns, individual politicians, uh, you know, in Europe and the United States, uh, whether it be their, you know, PR campaigns, uh, ad campaigns. I mean, they they spend vast sums of money 
to essentially game the political system to thwart action to tackle the climate emergency. I mean, a lot of people will look at that and think, well, that's just such a formidable, well-funded power structure. It's actually quite hard uh, to to overcome. And it is distorting, well, it's corroding and undermining democracy in the interests of industries that are literally destroying the planet. Yes, uh, all of that is completely true. Uh, it is uh, wildly hard uh, to tackle this because it's uh, it's not just power, it's it's incumbency. It's sort of it's sort of uh, the tendrils have sort of seeped really, really deep into into structures. You know, it's not just like if you were to shut down this one body. Um, it, it's actually really it's funny how how deep the problem goes, uh, and it, it sort of becomes institutional in some cases. Uh, so, re- obviously, repairing democracy uh, has an immediate impact on helping the emissions reductions or emissions elimination project uh, simply because what we know with absolute certainty is that there is really, really broad public support, uh, not just for climate action, but for really ambitious, fast climate action with much deeper and much more consequential changes across society than I think most people are ready to acknowledge. There's this fear that people are um, against anything that changes their lives or, or changes the way that they they experience, you know, their day-to-day. Uh, and it's just not true. There's there's really, really strong support. Um, in fact, people are in some ways far more willing to um, engage in climate action if they feel involved in it. Uh, and in fact, you know, people who are skeptical of the whole thing uh, can really change their view if they, if they become directly involved in, in climate action. That includes the democratic process of having your voice heard and fighting for change. Uh, and it really seems to be the only counterbalance to the really scary uh, and really um, worrying level of uh, power imbalance when it comes to this specific problem. Uh, what we've seen, uh, I think, in many different places around the world is that uh, people power, collective action, uh, and just the voices of many people coming together, keen to be directly involved in tackling this challenge, uh, is the only successful counter to the sort of lobbying and corruption that we see. Um, and so... I just want to really stress that because it's it, it doesn't seem like asking nicely works particularly well. Uh, it's something that many people have tried and it doesn't seem to really turn the dial. But uh, there are many instances where the dial has been turned uh, through activism and action. Um, so, uh, and I, I want to give you an example of that. Um, uh, actually, there's a really good recent one, um, the uh, case against Shell. Shell uh, offered a sort of net zero climate ambition style plan um, and through some of my own work, um, I, I work as a, as a sort of consultant and analyst on um, company pledges and net zero targets and things like that. And um, I worked on Shell's and it was really, you know, it's just not a particularly good plan and they don't plan to change their emissions at all until 2030 and a Dutch court um, found that they had to, uh, they had a, basically they, have to protect uh, human safety through reducing, reducing their own emissions by 45% by 2030. And that case was actually brought about by um, a group of climate activist organizations, of course, themselves driven by supporters and by people getting behind them and helping them along. Um, this is a really 
long and hard process. You know, it's sort of uh, easy to kind of read the headlines on that stuff, but underneath it, there's often a lot of people coming together to counter the lobbying and political power of these organizations and these industries. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand why that's so scary. Uh, I, I find it scary too, but we're increasingly finding out that there is a counter to that available to us. Finally, and links to a lot of what you said already, but in terms of how we overcome this existential menace and one of the ways that opponents of action to deal with the climate emergency have been successful is to frame action as basically it will destroy people's living standards, it will destroy jobs, it will mean pain, it will mean sacrifice, it will mean giving up things that you treasure, essentially. And obviously, that's not true. Not only, well, obviously, it's the old, there are no jobs and dead planet position, but this is an opportunity, isn't it? I mean, we could have a green industrial revolution that could create jobs, transform living standards, public transport, you know, trans you know, th there's all these things that will happen that will make people's lives better. So I just wondered in terms of your own sense of how we tackle a climate emergency and what people call a just transition. So we transition to a zero carbon economy in a way that isn't on the backs of the poor. And we saw, for example, in France, when a carbon tax was introduced that was regressive. So it hit poorer people more. That's the way you fatally undermine essentially public consent when it comes to taking action. So what, in terms of a just transition that doesn't do that because it's catastrophically self uh, destructive in any sense, what, what's your sense? Yeah, I, I actually, my, um, I started out my career working in, in renewables and I think there's actually so many brilliant examples of this exact phenomenon that you've just described um, in the physicalities of the energy transition, you know, uh, there are instances where large scale renewable projects get built, um, but not in a particularly fair or just way. So, so some, like a few land landowners will get a huge payout and then everyone else kind of gets nothing. Um, but there are also instances in the world where uh, renewables have been built um, with sort of community benefit payments where everybody within a certain radius gets paid, you know, relative to their proximity to these really large renewable projects. And um, many of them are, are fully sort of uh, community owned, you know, uh, owned by like collectors and things like that. Uh, and generally, these projects tend to be more strongly supported uh, by the people around them, but also uh, more generally by, by society. Uh, and so it actually matters very much to think about justice uh, and equity when it comes to the deployment of uh, climate solutions, a lot of people hear this and they kind of go, oh, that's, you know, they're just kind of trying to shoehorn some political trick in there. Uh, and it's absolutely, you know, not the case because what we know for sure is that these policies last longer, they have way more staying power. Um, and of course, they're just better because people demand them rather than, rather than tolerating them. People actually say, you know what, actually want to breathe cleaner air. Um, and I want to have cheaper electricity bills. And I want to own the things around me in some way or feel some connection with um, machinery and human industry and things like that if I happen to live near them. Uh, and so the consequence is that you end up with faster climate action because people are way more involved. It's way harder to do kind of gross political campaigns like this climate policy is going to destroy your life and um, you know make your electricity bills go up when people realize that you can actually design climate action so that it's something that we really desperately want. Because, of course, you know, we live in a time uh, where 
we're really exposed to a whole bunch of other stresses and problems. Um, there is the small issue of the pandemic. Um, there's all of the sort of flow on impacts, um, uh, all the injustices of, uh, that sort of flow from that, like people in really precarious work. And there's just so much good work to be done um, on climate action. Uh, so if it's designed well, then all of those campaigns just fall flat. Um, they're sort of treated with like this scoffing laughter because it's like, well, that's not true. I've experienced engaging in climate action and I know that it was something that benefited me directly. Um, and it's also just worth noting, like uh, sometimes I, I sometimes I see, you know, people talking about framing climate action, you know, in a sort of just way. And it's like, it's not about framing. You know, you actually have to make it really substantial and people can touch and feel the benefits. You know, it has to be something that the people experience really directly. It has to be real. Um, I think that's really important. And then I think that, um, of course, just to bring it back to the IPCC report, um, the really negative feelings that we all sort of feel when we when we read reports like that or, hear, or see the headlines, um, one really good way to actually kind of work through those feelings and, and um, uh, engage with them is to figure out some ways that you can get involved in climate action because uh, there's lots of small things you can do in your life, but there's also ways that you can contribute to much bigger projects, um, like political projects and things like that. It really helps a lot. Um, so yeah, I, it's a, it's quite powerful. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to see some really positive changes in the, in the next uh, few months. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.